are elite. For everything you need to know about Mercedes Monet's AEW debut, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome, everyone, to the Cultaholic Classic Raw Review. You see, whilst the other Cultaholic lads are just about getting over the sleep deprivation from watching seven hours of the Royal Rumble, we are getting over our jet lag from travelling in the Pro-powered DeLorean all the way back to 1993, where we are chronologically critiquing... Thank you, OSW Review. Every single episode of Monday Night Raw, from its inception to its eventual end at some point in our lifetime. And who be we? I be fake Geordie and radio presenter Tom Campbell. I be with the bear in the big blue bar cage who has watched so much wrestling and tweeted so much wrestling that he's given himself a pinched nerve in his shoulder. Justin Henry in America. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, I'd like to start... By saying, because uh, we're recording this on Monday night, so it's just after the Royal Rumble. We're all a bit tired. (laughs) Because, Mm -hmm. as WWE is one to do, they like to make us sit and watch a show that lasts over a quarter of a day. You know, it's it's funny that you bring that up, because I was just listening to the Brian and Vinny show about an hour and a half before we started recording here. And, of course, Brian Alvarez will go off on his little tangents and... I mean, I agree with most of the stuff he says, not everything, but he pointed out why WWE has these super maxi pay-per-view shows now, and it actually makes sense. They promote to the investors at the quarterly conference calls that because ratings are down and they can't really you know, promote them anymore, like, like, hey, ratings are up because that would be a lie. They point out how many hours people are watching the network. And if the shows are, and if the shows are longer, even if you're watching it in like two or three part chunks, and you watch some on Sunday night, then you watch some on Monday afternoon after work or whatever, then all that hours adds up. It's like, look at all these hours people are watching the network for. We're doing super. Oh gosh! So it's only going to get longer then. Um, potentially. Although I think us watching Raw contributes to the problem. I think we're the problem, Tommy. I think we are. But, but I'd like to say that I'd like to, 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 to tip the hat to Justin Henry, 
who, if you were watching along the NXT TakeOver show, which was very, very good, and the Royal Rumble, which was also long, but very, very good, um, Justin Henry was in control of the Cultaholic Twitter for those two nights, making all the funnies and making me do lots of laughs. So, Justin Henry, for your for your consistency in comedicness on the Cultaholic Twitter, please take a bow. I would. My neck hurts. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was good time. It was to the, you know, after every pay per view, every monthly pay per view, I should say, not not the takeovers, but the actual WWE main brand shows. I do the ten things we learned for Call of Holic, the written piece for the website, and I have about a few hour window between the time the show ends and and then for me to actually write the article, finish it up, and have it in for Mr. Ross Twedell to post. Last night I told him. Um, you can go to bed now if you want, because I don't know if I'm going to have this written by the time you uh, feel like going to sleep. So, you know, you just wake up and post it, you know, because I was – I needed to decompress. <laughs> I needed to just get away from my TV, my computer. It was too cold to take a walk, so I just went and laid on the couch for a while, tried not to fall asleep, and just tried to process everything I just watched. I was a zombie, and I had the article written by 4.15 – Eastern time this morning, oh, and, and then I finally, and then I finally, no, the worst part was finding the pictures to put in the article, because I had to find photos that correspond with what I'm talking about, and if you've ever scrolled through WWE.com, when, when there's like 40 pictures per match, some some cases 50, and it's not like a gallery where you pick, you know, which one you want to find. You have to scroll through them one by one until you find the one you want. And it just so happened, because I'm a dumbass, that that the points I was making were about stuff that happened late in those matches. Like the men's rumble, I made a point about the Randy Orton, Nia Jax stare down. I had to scroll through everything to find a photo of Orton and Nia. So, See, this is the work that Justin Henry does to bring you the content that you love. You're driving this man uh, insane! Uh... Yes, yes, they are. Um, <laughs> you, I, you, you are literally, I, we I are wanted, both so tired that you tried to come up with something to say and you were like, nah, he's bang I, on, yeah. <laughs> I've lost I it. I wanted to be like, uh, I wanted to be like, oh, psh, nah, it, it, it's nothing. And I'm like, God damn, he's right. He, he is right. This is driving me insane. <laughs> I think the one thing that occurred to me, and it didn't make your list, and the things that I learned from the Royal Rumble is if I'm going to stay up late to watch these epic half, a quarter of a day wrestling shows, I really need to reconsider, like start from the ground up, how I do my snacks. Because <laughs> I had a system and these long shows now do not lend themselves to the system. And before the women's Rumble had finished, I would pretty much run out of everything. <laughs> Yeah, that's about where I was. I finished up all my stuff probably, probably around, if not Ronda, Sasha, then then the Women's Rumble because I had some had some beef jerky. I had some potato skin chips and a can of Monster. And that was all. I started probably around, had to have been the Rusev-Nakamura match on the pre-show. And then I was out by the time we got that, to that point. So I had to jump away at one point and 
grab some leftovers that were in the fridge and then go from there. Yeah, because I, yeah, so even even you had the same problem. Not enough snacks to pace yourself and cater for the entire show. Like, I was ravenous by, like, quarter to five. It was, a. Uh, I don't understand why the Women's Rumble had to be two-minute intervals. You made a really good point on Twitter where you said that, well, I'll let you make the point again. I just, why can't we just have the one-minute intervals from 95 if you're going to have two Rumble matches? But that was before. That was before I listened to what Brian Alvarez was saying on the Brian and Vinny show. He thinks that it wasn't really too many intervals, but they do. When somebody's dispatched to the ring for their entry, they have a sequence in mind of what they're going to do, whether they run rough shot on everybody or a specific spot where they get a little bit of shine to, to establish who they are, whatever. He thinks, that he, he thinks the female competitors took so long setting their stuff up that it threw the whole timing off. And he may have a point. Because obviously it's a two-minute... It, it's a slightly kayfabe two-minute thing, isn't it? Because it's based on when certain things happen. And if yeah. sometimes you're yeah. taking too long for something to set up, then yeah. you're going to push. push the time back. Yes, yeah, so although it is still preferable to, to a hunter taking three minutes to get to the ring in 2002. Oh, that was hilarious. That was really stretching my disbelief that night. It was like he had dog do on his shoes, and he was scraping it off with each each step, just trying to drag it across the floor. All right, I think it's off now. All right, let me fight Awesome. Are you sure this is three minutes? Because it's so, so. Are you sure this is two minutes? Because it does feel like half an hour. Hey, who's running the show here? <laughs> hey, but look, it's not our job to talk about the Royal Rumble. We'll leave that to the other guys on this podcast feed, and you've probably heard loads about it. We are back in 1993, Justin. We are watching the old episodes of Monday Night Raw, and we are up to episode 28? 28, that is correct. We are. Where and when are we? The air date is August 2nd, 1993, although it was taped eight nights earlier on a Sunday night, July 25th of 93. And this is the third different venue that Monday Night Raw has emanated from. It is not the posh-looking Manhattan Center. It is not the decent-looking Mid-Hudson Civic Center in Poughkeepsie, New York. Oh, no, 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 no. It is the apparent converted airplane hangar known as the Castle Recreation Center. In Alexandria Bay, New York. What I loved is that you told me last week, at the end of the podcast, the place they're going is a dive. And wow, it's the most right you've ever been. This place is a dump. <laughs> to say the very least, it's... It uh... is, and, it, and is it an old aircraft hangar? Because it looks like an old aircraft hangar. I don't know if it is or not. It just looked like one. I, I'm just going to operate under the assumption that it is one thing i noticed when they do the pat they first of all don't do a panning shot when your venue looks like this you know it's it's there's been two occasions in wrestling where i've uh, they've in my opinion regretfully made a panning shot of the arena the one was uh at was five star wrestling in the uk when they had one of their shows in Newcastle at the Newcastle Arena, soon to be the Utilita Arena. I don't know why either. And um, <laughs> and and the, they did the opening shot. This is. Do you remember Five Star Wrestling? Slightly. It, yeah. So it's this a bit lost a, on me being an American fan. An ill-fated attempt to make British wrestling mainstream again by a company which seemed to have more money than sense. 
they did a show. They did a series of arena shows. They booked these arenas, and they just weren't selling the tickets. And they had a TV deal with a sports channel, like quite high up on the free view. And I watched it out of interest. And the opening shot I see is of the Newcastle Arena, and there's about it's if 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 the shot could have potentially contained five hundred people, there was a hundred and ten. And I just remember gasping and going, why are you doing a long shot? That looks awful. That no one's turned up. What are you doing? <laughs> and they kept doing it all night. Like, here we are in the arena. Stop doing long shots. <laughs> Nobody's there. <laughs> and again, with well, this, I wish they hadn't done a long shot. Well, in fairness, it actually wasn't a bad crowd. I mean, for a, for the venue of choice up in upstate New York, New York, New York near the Canadian border of all places. It's a, it was actually a decent looking crowd, but it was the aesthetic of it. Yeah. One thing I noticed about this show, and this actually, this has a nice tie into the rumble from last night, or if you listen to the show on Wednesday afternoon, to uh, the rumble on Sunday, we'll just say. They were saying at the rumble how the lighting was so bad it was shining right in the fans' faces, and a lot of them had to ask to be moved because it was just, it was such a, it was this blinding inconvenience. It, it wasn't good. On this show, it was dark. It was like it was just it was like dingy. A dimly... There was a cut. There was like there was a couple of there was some lights in there, but there was just like a handful of really bright lights it, it, that didn't yeah, really it was like... shine much on anywhere other than straight down. Yeah. It's almost like an underground fighting pit where it's like you know Fight Club. You know, we're not supposed to talk about Fight Club. Of course, no one was talking about this show back then either. <laughs> and did you notice? Because... I don't know whether I don't know whether it was just me. Like, did you feel like that the ring seemed too far up the one end? Because it felt like one end of the of the crowd was really, really deep, and one end was quite <laughs> shallow. I I did notice that. I did notice, but what I noticed even more was uh. Just how much everyone was profusely sweating on this show. Oh, it was a sweaty place. Oh, God. <laughs> Everybody was sweating. It must have keep been a mind, horrible stink pit in there. Keep in mind, I, I do realize that it's 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 near the Canadian border, which isn't the warmest place in the world. But it still is the end of July, and they do have a summer up there. <laughs> in fact, somebody makes reference to a lack of air conditioning on this show. And... Uh, it, it's pretty apparent. I'm guessing that maybe why they turned the lights down because maybe the air conditioning was just insufficient or malfunctioned. It was obvious that people were just dripping with sweat, and it wasn't even just the commentators. It was the wrestlers. It was the fans. You could see it was obviously not a pleasant place to be in. And I'm guessing that's probably why they turned the lights down. <laughs> so, but I think is this the last time we come here though? Uh, do we do we come here again? Uh, they taped next week's show from the same building, so that will be from there as well. Oh, happy days. <laughs> so we, so um, we're here. We just need to put up with it. We're in a hot, sweaty building for Monday Night Raw. And it's a special episode of Monday Night Raw because it features a very special return. Yes, he returned to the ring for the man who has apparently made all his hat payments because he is wearing his hat here tonight, Macho Man Randy Savage. Wrestling on Raw for the first time in approximately six or seven months. And he's facing the man who called him out on last week's show, Doink the Clown. And he's backstage 
bedecked in Americana, shall we say. Yes, he is uh, red, white, and blue from head to toe. He cuts a backstage promo on Doink the Clown, and he says uh, he is going to have a little surprise for Doink. And, Tommy, you're a well-educated man, I'd like to think. <laughs> I'm glad I've given you that impression. When you hear the phrase, little surprise in wrestling, do you know nine times out of ten where that's going? Do you know what? Wrestling has indeed given me that insight into where the phrase, little surprise, is going to take us. It could be a similar little surprise that we got at the Royal Rumble last night. Uh, yes, and it, it's not Tony Montana saying, say hello to my little friend and pulling out a gun. Oh, it's it, it's something special, and when we get to that match, oh, we'll get to it. But we begin with what I thought was going to be a total squash, and end up not being what I thought it was going to be. World Tag Team Champions, the Steiner Brothers, take on Barry Horowitz and Dwayne Gill. Barry in and full I... pat myself on the back regalia. Yes, I even wrote my notes here. Bet somebody gets effed up, given that it's a Steiner's match. <laughs> and Vince makes an important note here that the Steiner brothers have signed an open contract to anyone who wants to challenge him for the belts. This may come and play later on. That's a little bit of exposition from Vince McMahon. Well, he's basically saying uh, anyone who wants to come out and uh, face him for the belt. It's like John Cena's U.S. title open challenge where he would say right now and then start running off the ropes. And when he hits the ropes a third time, then somebody's music magically hits. Although they didn't – it wasn't that elaborate back then. It was just, hey, you want to sign this piece of paper? Okay. And it was literally that simple. Yeah, it was quite casual, the open challenge thing. Because obviously, say with John Cena, it's an event. Like it's an open challenge. Come on out right now. Let's have a thing. Whereas, and we're in a very different era. The the stars are gone. Yeah, we'll we'll find somebody at, at some point. Well, part of it is the fact that they're so menacing. It's like who would even have the balls to come out and face them? Well, I thought the Barry Horowitz given... and Dwayne Gill had. <laughs> they gone, mate. Huh? Let's sign this. Yeah. I think they, I think they just drew straws and those two lost. <laughs> <laughs> It's like there's ten, ten jobbers backstage. Like whoever, okay, we'll draw, we'll draw marbles out of the hat. We'll draw some two black ones. Let's go out and face Rick and Scott. Oh boy. Barry Horowitz, um, the he had the the shtick now of pat myself on the back. Mm-hmm. Um, his tights reflected this because his tights are covered in handprints. My question to you, Justin, is. How ridiculous is the whole pat myself on the back thing? Well, he started doing it down, I think, in Global Wrestling in in Dallas in, like, 1992 because he was Barry the Winner Horowitz. Barry the Winner Horowitz. Yes, Barry the Winner Horowitz. uh, I I get the hands on the back of the jacket because he's patting himself on the back. I mean, the hands on the butt, that's a little bit more like a baseball thing. Uh, Hey. Hey, good job. You hit a home run. Uh, Hey, you knocked in three runs on that triple there. Uh, Good job. (laughs) I don't know whether you could could encourage pats on the bum in 2019. (laughs) It feels feels a little bit wrong. I mean, mean, teammates still deal with each other. Baseball, football, you still see it. It's just, I mean, it's not a sexual thing. Well, you say that, but I tried to do that at the Cultaholic Party to Adam Pachiti, and he was having none of it. 
I was just being Polly. Well, Adam's slightly uptight. <laughs> but he won't be so uptight when he has to eat 30 hot wings in order to satisfy his end of the punishment. <laughs> that to be slightly messy. Oh. Good night, so everybody. We have, <laughs> so we have this match, and Vince keeps putting over Alexandria Bay. Like, like... As if this is going to be the new mecca of professional wrestling. He is really wanna... polishing this, you know what, I mean. I'm surprised there wasn't like three bags of money sitting next to my head at the commentary desk. <laughs> it's like, oh good, my laundry is done. Why was he so, <laughs> so, so hot on Alexandria Bay? They must have, they must have given him like a good deal. Like, come to the venue for free. Yeah, I was going to say, four guys walking in the room carrying a check. <laughs> Unless Vince was trying to just make out that this place is fine. Don't know what you're talking about. We're in a, we're in a very affluent part of up, up upstate New York. Meanwhile, today you can't say Wichita on SmackDown because in his mind it's a B-town. But this is the same Vince McMahon that refused to acknowledge the the location of the King of the Ring. Just kept calling Dana it, Ohio. we're in the heartland of America. Yeah, Vince is a... Uh... He's an odd duck, is he not? He is a very odd duck. So this match is, uh, it's not your typical Steiner squash. Like, the only real brutal spot is when Rick clotheslined, or I should say Steiner-lined Dwayne Gill, almost knocked him out of his boots. Well, actually, the finish was pretty brutal as well. Scott hitting this beautiful-looking Frankensteiner that about broke a guy's neck. But it was just a very straightforward match to establish that the Steiners are still the alpha team. And they're looking for competition. Anyone that has the temerity and the guts to step up and sign that open contract. Could it be the head shrinkers? Could it be the smoking guns? Could it be... Men on a mission. One could hope, right? Well done. Imagine... I think we're a couple of years early for well done, aren't we? No, no they show up pretty soon, actually. Oh, yeah. I'm excited. You're the only one. <laughs> So then, well, here's why you should be excited. After the Steiners make quick work of two of the greatest jobbers in the history of wrestling, we come to a little feature called Who is Lex Luger? Wow. Now, you messaged me because we, we watch this at different times. Like, I normally try and watch it on the Sunday night or the Monday morning. You watch it a couple of days before. And I want to read the message that Justin Henry sent me on Facebook shortly after you'd watched it. Okay. Um, I'm going to bleep out the swear word. Saturday night, 8.14 p.m. Wait till you see this effing Luger feature. If it were any duller, I'd trust anyone to try and stab me with it. That, <laughs> and I'm that is what I said. Laugh. I'm like, you ever see, remember back during the Monday Night Wars when something so crazy would happen on Raw that you had to call your friend? Yes, those like, were good days. I, yes, when when you see something so unbelievable, you have to confirm it to someone you love. And Tommy, <laughs> I love you very much. I love you too. I saw, I saw this promo, and I'm like, I have to warn Tom. He might not be, <laughs> he might not be adequately prepared for this when he sees this. This, this Do you know is... what? I wasn't. I wasn't ready. Even though you'd warned me, I wasn't ready. <laughs> I watched this. Um, I, wa I watched the Lex Luger promo. 
40 minutes before the, the Royal Rumble kickoff show. So I thought, mm-hmm. I'll go a bit of time. I can... Because in 1993, like, the, the thought of a wrestling show over an hour was ludicrous. So I can actually squeeze in Monday Night Raw before we sit down for a quarter of a day to watch the Royal Rumble. <laughs> and I thought I was ready for the Lex Luger uh, bio video. Mate, I wasn't. How did that go? I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. <laughs> now, it should be noted for those of you who are just tuning into our show here and haven't been keeping up with Raw 1993, if this is all new to you, Lex Luger was Hulk Hogan Mark II. Hogan was out of the picture. And Vince wanted the new muscle-bound Americana superhero to be the one to knock off all the foreign nasties and all of the evildoers to be his new Hulk Hogan. Now Lex Luger, he had the look. He had the musculature. He had maybe not exactly Hogan's name value, but he had a name. He had a good name. Lex Luger is actually an awesome name for a wrestler. He had a lot of good things going his way. But one thing he did not have nor do many other people have, in comparison to Hulk Hogan, is his charisma. Oh, my goodness me. It was... Right, if if Hulk Hogan's charisma... If charisma was measured in the same way you would measure a bank balance, right? Lex mm-hmm. Luger is overdrawn by 10 grand. <laughs> to say the very least. My God. This, this would be like if... Okay, Arnold Schwarzenegger's not going to be playing the Terminator anymore. So we need to find a new understated badass to play the T-800. So let's go out and get the guy from My Dinner with Andre. <laughs> that's good. That's, that's, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> keep, keep in mind, what people want in, in an Americana superhero like Hulk Hogan is the bluster, is the energy, is the captivating speeches that Hulk Hogan gives. Not, some, not that they're the most coherent things in the world. Own That's beside the point. When Hogan talked, you listened. Kids listened. I listened. I was a little Hawkamaniac. Same. Oh. Exactly the same. Lex Luger, to use an old Bobby Heenan expression about Nick Bockwinkle, if you ask Nick Bockwinkle what time it was, he'd tell you how to build a watch. <laughs> it was... Do you know what it was like? And there were points because he was in. So in this, in this bio, in this bio video, which is like mm-hmm. finding out about Lex Luger, we'll we'll mm-hmm. get to the editing in a moment. Mm-hmm. But the wording in this video, because from what I recall, he talked a lot about going through school and the pressure that his parents put on him mm-hmm. to get straight A's and all this stuff. And every so often he'd be talking and he would just kind of, it would feel like he'd start mumbling. And the best way to describe it is, it's like watching someone have a breakdown. Which is not what I want from my new Hulk Hogan. I don't want to watch him talking about, I mean, I, do you know what? It's weird because some of the stuff that he talks about in this, in 2019, it's pretty appropriate and pretty palpable. The whole idea of that, of that sort of anti, um, 
masculinity thing where it's like you know talking about sure. emotions and 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 pressure from parents and and getting upset and crying and and and, and being okay with that and like in this day and age that stuff is amazing and as somebody who is who, who genuinely does have those days it's great that there's so many people that are talking about it now and and i would mm-hmm. not change that and i'm so proud they are but right the, the thing is this is 1993 and this interview is designed to make this guy look like hulk hogan to look like this this juggernaut that's gonna put the company on his back and run into the sunset and all i got from this was some guy mumbling incoherently about about going to school and it just looked like he was having a breakdown. Would you sit through Dirty Harry if for one hour in the middle of the movie he attended an AA meeting? Absolutely not. Well, no, no. <laughs> I, it's, a bit, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bit avant-garde. I don't know. I, I did think it was funny when Vince threw the, uh, threw the in-arena stuff to this video. He says, well, he says, well, find Luger to be, and I'm quoting here, informative, honest, Interesting, proud, and patriotic. All right, slow the hell down here. Interesting. He certainly he was honest. <laughs> I'll give it. Do we know that. that? Okay, okay. Out of all the things that Vince said there, the one thing that was accurate was we were throwing to Lex Luger. <laughs> he, that was factual. There were no production gaffes there. No, nope, they. I can guarantee you, one hundred percent honesty. They did throw to Lex Luger. Now let's talk about the production here. <laughs> oh, wow. So, um, I feel like in 1993, somebody at Titan Towers got given a new video production suite, uh, which was revolutionary. Whatever the 93 equivalent was of Adobe Premiere, somebody <laughs> got that. This this week on Raw, and we're like, I want to really try this out. So we've got Lex Luger, and I'm. Do you know what? I'm I'm going to try really hard to paint this picture in your mind's eye. But you might be best off if you've got the network going to Monday Night Raw episode 28 and watching this for yourself. If you can't, I'll do my best to describe what happened. We have Lex Luger sat in a chair. On the one side of the screen, talking to somebody off screen. So it's they're like they're looking away, they're looking to the other side of the screen. And it's as we've discussed, is Lex Luger incoherent and rambling and looking like the saddest man on the earth. There's your new champ. And while this is going on, in no particular order, no rhyme or reason, we we're getting we're getting interspersed like merging shots of Lex Luger sat down on the one side and Lex Luger's face up close on the other a bit like those really bad photos that you see people get when they go to like professional photographers where you'll have like the family in the front and then like a like a slightly faded image of the dad hanging over the top of them like he's died Uh, that in video form (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and every so often it would go black and white and every so often <laughs> they would have it so Luger would be talking on one side of the screen to the other 
And then another Lex Luger would appear. Like, they'd mirror it. So it looked like Lex Luger was talking to himself. <laughs> that but is slightly ex- faded. The professional photo studio comparison is dead on. But what I wrote in my notes was, this was like a 1990s real-world testimonial combined. <laughs> combined. With William Shatter's performance of Rocket Man. <gasps> Justin, take a bow. That's it. You've nailed it. You have nailed it better than I ever could. So, <laughs> real world. And I think it's going to be a long, long time till Vince pulls the trigger and puts the belt on me. Because <laughs> I'm a even job the delivery... for man. <laughs> even the delivery was pretty much like that. As well. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I just can't. <laughs> Honest, honestly, please, please take time to watch it because it is delivered to us as an audience with no trace of irony, with no trace of 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 uncertainty. Like Vince McMahon presents this as we're going to take a look at our, our new number one guy and he's going to talk from the heart and you're going to love him. And then we get that. And it's wow. Wow. He's talk- he's going on about academics and self-esteem, and I'm turning into jury duty Homer. <laughs> I, minus the glasses. It's it's unreal. Please make time, if you have the network, to watch this bit, because and the, I I can't get over it. This, this is certainly a lost gem in terms of utter garbageosity, if that's even a, that's not a word, but I just, I just coined it. And the only thing that lulled me out of my near deep slumber was Themis Clarity's the very attractive ring girl in a plaid swimsuit. That got my attention. That brought in us all back seconds, in the room. Yes, I was. Um, I, I was getting mildly detached. Well, mildly is putting it lightly. I was getting detached from everything. I began to question why I even do this show, other than the fact that I like talking to you. Do you know what's funny? Yes. Um. And and I think. In 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 2019, we get that Vince McMahon is is older, and the world has changed quite a bit. So that's why everybody gets quite annoyed in that the stuff that he does doesn't really click as well as it used to. But we're not in 1993. We are not a million miles away from the Hulkamania boom period. How how has Vince McMahon? Got this Lex Luger thing so wrong. Well, in Vince's defense, I know we've kind of taken the piss out of him a little bit here, rightfully so. Oh, and he deserves it, yeah. If you think about it, Hogan was tarnished. The Arsenio Hall interview. The, the refusal to admit that he had done steroids for cosmetic purposes. If he presents his next Hulk Hogan as the honest version of Hulk Hogan, the down-to-earth, non-BS version of Hulk Hogan, then maybe, just maybe, he can ward off some of that negative press. That's a really good shout. But at the same time, it's not an interesting Hulk Hogan. I mean, Hulk Hogan could be snorting lines of coke in a mill ring while punching Yokozuna in the head. I'd rather watch that than this Lex Luger interview. No, that's a good shout. That's a good shout. Vince was obviously going for something a bit more, well, a lot more wholesome. 
he was way too image conscious for his own good. Yeah, and and as there is, and, and in another person, in another superstar, you might have been able to pull off something like this with a lot more gravitas. John Cena, maybe. John Cena, yeah. Eddie Guerrero. Do you remember in two thousand and four? when Eddie Guerrero came clean about like his drug addictions and all this and, mm-hmm. and, and came out the other side of it. Like we loved him even more mm-hmm. because of the so, way he spoke about it. Not just that, but Eddie, had, no offense to Luger, but Eddie has more charisma in one of his fingers than Luger has in this whole body. I mean, there is that as well. So yeah. So the, the, the idea of here's somebody. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Kind of put their art, you know, with their heart on their sleeve, showing you what they're made of. But again, I think it's just because it's Luger who, yeah. even in, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, every. I feel that the Cultaholic Classic Raw Review has just become the Luger bashing episode. Even, oh, even in the Ica Pro advert, right? He has mm-hmm. one line. Ica Pro, you've got to want it. I don't think he wants it. <laughs> no. It, I don't. Like, he says it so unconvincingly. Like, you have one line. And I don't believe you. I believe Tatonka. I believe the Steiners. I believe Brett. <laughs> but I don't believe it when Lucas says it. He does have this aloofness about him, does he not? Really, really, do- and then it's, he has almost like stage fright in his eyes. But I think he always has that. Like even at the end of his career, like he, whenever he was on mic or on the camera, he looked a bit frightened. Well, here's a little teaser for next week's show. Luger will speak extemporaneously in front of the camera. Oh God! And he has one. He has the funniest thing that Luger ever said until his final months in WCW when he stopped giving a frig. Him and Buff Bagwell would just go off and do their own thing. Up until this point, this, it, 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 it's ironic. What, it, it, it's like ironically funny what he says, but it, 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 it's a. Uh... Should I just say what the line is now in, as part of the teaser? Yeah, give us the line he's, now. I think he's telling he's telling Yokozuna about about this great country. He says it begins with a U, it ends with an A, and there's an S in the middle. 
<laughs> Tulsa. <laughs> 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 it, it, it was the S in the middle part that kills me. I, I think after the I think after the U and the A we got it there, Lex. <laughs> oh, Luger! I'm 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 excited for the day where we don't keep running down Luger, but I, I don't think that day is coming anytime soon. Yeah, I'll wait two years. <laughs> okay, so a, plaid a, ring girl that you fancy. Let's get back to clarities. That. Yes, well, we got to get to the next match, unfortunately, but Adam Bomb versus Tony Roy, who has quite a physique and quite a hairstyle to go with it. He certainly does. I'm I'm ready now for Adam Bomb to do something else. Well, you're gonna be waiting a while. <laughs> I think I am, aren't I? Because he walks out yes. every week, and this is this is this, the one difference about this to every other week with Adam Bomb. I don't think he had the contact lenses last week. He has some pretty garish-looking ones on this one. Oh, he looked amazing. I really like Adam Bomb. If I was running WWF in 1993, I'd be like, "That's that's me guy there." I want to I want to put the company on Adam Bomb's back because like it's such a such a compelling image, and also what a hell of a move set. He's the radioactive wrestler. Yeah. I he want not... that. I realize he couldn't be Adam Bomb in WCW, but instead of being Wrath, he should have been Corey Meltdown. <laughs> yes. And here's the thing as well. Here's the thing. Vince was very image conscious at this point. He was very concerned about oh the steroid trial and all this stuff. So when people go to Adam Bomb and they say, Oh, so how do you get so big? It's like, mate, radiation poisoning. Exactly. They're not gonna. He, they're not gonna out him for being caught in a radiation leak. That's just mean. He's he's from Three Mile Island. It, 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 there was a small issue in 1979, and it got a hold of him. There you go. He's big because <laughs> of radiation. Stop being. Yes. Stop being mean. The poor guy. <laughs> Come on, it's like his his eyes are glowing. Have you no shame? I. He can be my hero. You know. Th- you know, Themis likes him because when she passed by him, she smiled at them. Yeah, yeah. Is... and she's right because he's, he's great. And I say them because Adam Bomb, of course, is accompanied by Johnny Polo, who is the future Raven at this point playing an obnoxious rich kid, which if you've never seen – if you've seen Raven but you've never seen Johnny Polo, you have to see this. It's you so will not far the same removed person. from Raven. Yes, it's the diametric opposite of what Raven would be. And also, he's Johnny Polo, but he's got a lacrosse racket. <laughs> he, he would mismatch a lot of stuff. Like he, he would, yeah, I think he's done that just to troll me. Yes, yeah, so he, he's just he's just winging it, I think. And he's Bobby Heenan had though. oh clearly, Bobby Heenan had a great ad lib here when there's a, there's just a little blonde kid in the crowd with glasses while he's in the middle of a thought. And he goes, hey, Backlund got glasses. And he goes back to what he was talking about. <laughs> that was fun. Nice little <laughs> nice little kick and a flick back. Um, the official forgot to mention in the tag team match uh, earlier on tonight with the Steiner brothers. Uh, big shout to um, your official in that match, which was Bill Alfonso. And he calls it right down the middle, daddy. 
Call it right down the middle, Daddy. And yeah, Daddy, Bill Alfonso. <laughs> That's a good Bill Alfonso. <laughs> We're going to release a CD of all of Justin's wrestling impressions. I have about seven. That's seven tracks. It's an EP. So we had Bill Alfonso, and now we have the fighting Irishman, Timmy White. Famous and notorious for the, the first bit of WWE Network content before there was a WWE Network, which was the hilarious Tim White suicides. Yes, they were hilarious. And, and by hilarious, I mean not hilarious. They were not at all. It was a weird time. How do you say from a guy shooting himself into a mid-card title match? I don't know. <laughs> they, they found a way. They, they somehow do it, but it's... Yeah, you can't even get these on the network because I think they've realized that Tim White having a breakdown and trying to find innovative ways to kill himself in three-minute skits starring Josh Matthews probably isn't in the best of taste. Well, Brian Zane, uh, he, he did a whole bit on that for Wrestling With Regret, if you ever want to pull that up on, on the old YouTube there. He he goes into it in depth, and it's it's quite mortifying. It was mortifying then. It's mortifying in 2019 watching it. Yeah, I feel a bit weird watching it. It feels like a different world. Yeah, it's so far removed from... It's changed a lot in 14 years, let's put it that way. And starting this match, that Adam Bomb is just kicking Tony Roy's ass so handily that... Vince plugs the USA movie Marilyn and Bobby, Her Final Affair, which is the, which sounds classy. Marilyn Monroe and Bobby Kennedy, although he makes it about himself, which is kind of funny. I thought that was, yeah. Bobby Bobby went straight for it there. I'm glad he jumped straight in on that joke. <clears throat> if Bobby Heenan weren't here to help to, to add his own humorous charm to all these needless plugs, then they would just be totally useless. So Adam Bomb finishes this match pretty quickly. He hits a back suplex, which Vince calls a suplex of sorts. A suplex. <laughs> yeah, Not it of was, sorts. Again, like that's a movie you would see in 2019, being pulled out in 1993 by Adam Bomb. It's a pretty basic move. I mean, people have done the back suplex before. It's 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 fairly standard. And but tame. it was kind of like a Urinagi back suplex. In yeah, the sense kind of. that it was, he hoied him up for the suplex. And then he twisted his own body, so it kind of went a bit, to use the technical term, a bit rock bottomy on the way down. It was just unique enough to be outside the norm. I, so I, I, I guess Suplex of Sword does work there. Either it's a, way, it, Adam, it beats water maneuver. Either way, Adam Smasher does finish. I have to say, this might be the best power bomb in the business at this point. I, I know Vader's in the business, but. The way he just holds you by your armpits after the flip and just drives you back first to the mat. Just like the way he instead of just dropping you, he drives you down. And then keeps so you cool. there for the pin. Like holds you right there, which I think is great. Just a great show of dominance and a great show of strength also. And no one's it's doing a, a powerbomb in the in the WWF at this point. Obviously Sid Justice did one, but he's not there anymore. Yeah, it really is just an atom bomb at this point. And there weren't too many power bomb guys. I know when Vader came in, he was doing the Vader bomb because Sid was there. Or, or was he? I know when Vader came in, Sid may have been out the door at that point. They, they did have a crossover because they had like a master of the power bomb type match. 
Sid Vicious what? and uh, sorry, Sid Justice and <laughs> oh no, because he was Psycho Sid at that point. Right, there was right. a Psycho Sid Invader match that happened on an In Your House, which is to find out who was the master of the power bomb. And it ended with a choke slam. I think it did, didn't it? <laughs> yes, yes, it did. <laughs> Maybe it's because Ahmed was doing the Pro River Plunge. Another great move that doesn't get enough play today. Well, it's the t- is it not is it not the Tyler Driver '97 these days? Actually, you are. I, I believe you are correct. Tyler Bate ripped off Ahmed Johnson. There, I've said it. Now see, now Tyler Bate do his war zone promos. <gasps> oh, you're going down. Oh, actually, as the as a Rumble uh, statistic machine, because that's basically what you are to me, mm-hmm. among many other things. You are the Royal Rumble statistic machine. Um, mm-hmm. I do believe Pete Dunne, the first wrestler to compete in the Royal Rumble from the West Midlands. I don't know who's from the West Midlands, so I, I would trust your judgment from, on that one. I think from Birmingham or surrounding areas. <laughs> I'm trying. I don't think there have been any other wrestlers from that part of the UK that have competed in the Royal Rumble until Pete Dunne did on Sunday. I would have to defer to your judgment on that one. I, I, I do believe, however, that Dunne is the youngest male competitor in Rumble history, though. Ah, oh, brilliant. Get in, lad. In, in terms of date of birth, he was born in November of 93, according to Wikipedia, at which point I was turning 10 years old. <laughs> so now I feel especially old. We're all old now. I felt old six years ago when Bo Dallas became the first Rumble entrant that was younger than the Rumble itself. Oh, it's a oh. Let's not. Hey, look. Let's not worry about age. It's my birthday on Thursday, so I'm not worrying too much about the passage of time. Yes, let's uh, let's focus on uh. Next hint, hint. It's my is... birthday on Thursday. That's tomorrow. Yes, for those of you listening <laughs> on Wednesday, of course. <laughs> we have a we have a plug for next week's show. It is going to be Tatanka versus Mr. Hughes. Oh, and I <laughs> love that they build this up like it's Rock Austin. <laughs> yes, we need to have a full Limp Biscuit My Way music video with the time to tell you he needs to win. John! This time I'm going to let it all come out. This time I'm going to stand up and shout. Who was the Limp Biscuit equivalent in 93? Uh, in 93? I'm going <laughs> to. Smash Mouth? No. <laughs> um, Nirvana? I'm going to say. I'm going to say House of Pain. <laughs> okay. House of Pain. That's about right. That's white guys rapping. <laughs> John, you've had nothing to do this week. Um, full music video of Tatanka <laughs> versus Mr. Hughes from <laughs> with the soundtrack "My Way" by Limbiscuit. Or how? And there better be, and there better be choreography. Full choreography, and it has to be three minutes. Or just, <laughs> or just do a match graphic, whichever. Yeah, match graphic of yeah, epic match graphic. For Tatonka versus Mr. Hughes. Put a dragon in. So we So we go to We go to the main event of the show, even though it's the third match of four. Macho Man Randy Savage versus Doink the Clown. Now to this point, we've seen Doink have some phenomenal matches on this show. He had a couple with Mr. Perfect. Yeah, I'm sorry, yeah, he he had one more perfect and he had a couple with Marty Janetti, which have been among the best matches we've seen on the show to this point. Now he's facing a 40-year-old Randy Savage. 
are we going to see the same magic there? Oh, well, I was optimistic that we could because, like, Randy Savage has shown that he's got some incredible babyface fire at this point in his career. Um, and Doink has been on a roll. Doink's been on a tear. And there's, mm. there's a real nice juxtaposition between them. So I thought, in, in my head, I was like, this could actually be a really fun match. Let's go and do a thing. I'm actually kind of sad they didn't save it for SummerSlam. You could have... That's it. I feel like they could have done more with this. I feel like the Vince... Well we, know, well, we know that Vince didn't see any stock in Macho Man in 1993. Which... Because Vince is always right. Yeah, and it's 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 it frustrates me because he's a guy that you could have put out there for feature matches to really make somebody. And you could have, like you say, built to Savage versus Doink at SummerSlam. And it would have been great. Like, just have Doink antagonizing him for weeks, trying to get him, get him to come back out of retirement and face him. And Savage would be like, oh, I don't know what that means, or whatever, for three, three four weeks, and eventually... Okay. He wants me to sign a contract to wrestle him at SummerSlam. I don't know what that means. Why is he talking in riddles? <laughs> <laughs> sign a contract for a match at SummerSlam? Stop talking jibber-jabber. <laughs> Get out of my head, riddle box. <laughs> this could have been a great SummerSlam match, but we had it on Raw in a dusty old aircraft hangar. So we get what we get. <laughs> I do like that. Doink's just talking very casual. Like, I like pizza, and Savage hears Jim Morrison talking. <laughs> I think You are not the... It should you be... You are not the Lizard King. It should be that Doink point blank says, I want a match with you, Savage. A one-on-one singles match. And, and Savage is like, why, why are you talking in riddles, you <laughs> your quiz master? And then one day, Doink just says, do you know what? It doesn't matter. Um, I'm gonna. Oh, oh, look! There's a there's a dog over there. And Savage goes, "Ooh, a dog! Dog's an animal. He thinks I'm an animal. Okay, I will have a match with you at SummerSlam." <laughs> Very Rube Goldbergian. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Breaking Randy. <laughs> John, so, make a poster. Breaking Randy. So Dwayne rides a unicycle to the ring. Quite well, my my, my dad. Because Matt Bourne is is multi talented, we come out of commercial break and the commentary is super low in the mix, which I blame the arena. Even though this commentary is being done in post, you can always blame this arena. You can always blame this arena. It's a crappy arena. And there's this weird noticeable edit when Savage makes his entrance, because he walks around ringside, he shakes Vince's hand. Vince is talking to him like, "All right, Randy, yeah, yeah, I love you. You got three matches a year, yeah." And, <laughs> and then, so, so you, we we see Vince talking to Randy on camera, and then when and when Savage walks away, Vince is no longer on camera. Vince's voice changes just slightly, back to studio Vince. I thought that was kind of neat. They, yeah, they were very clever with how they jumped between live action and not live action. Boy, the editors really feeling their oats this week between the Luger interview and this. Somebody got a new video production suite, and they are making the most of that bad boy. And Christmas came early for somebody. So, so Savage dedicates this match to Crush, who is convalescing from having his ribs completely flattened by Yokozuna about, oh, four weeks ago, three weeks ago, whatever it was. 
Savage checks under the ring before the match, possibly for Zelina Vega or Hornswoggle, but really it's, it's to see if, if any doinks are under there, or so we think. So Doink mocks Savage start the match, he bites him to break an arm twist. So Savage gets pissed off, jumps to the floor and grabs a chair, and basically and tries to meme Doink right, right, right at the very onset of the match. But, yeah, he gets very angry very quickly. Savage is the best at conveying rage of any wrestler ever. Because part of it, I don't think it's acting. No, I think I think part of him is he's genuinely angry with the world. Yes, he's very tightly wound, but Savage may have been the very best in the world at bringing, at conveying beautiful destruction. Like everything he did was so theatrical, like like so it flowed so well. And yet, it looked like he was just a cage animal ready to try to kill you. He would do these promos where he would be just so enraged that he couldn't get his words out. And that really brought him to life. I always remember from Savage versus Flair, just like the, uh, possibly, possibly one of the greatest sell jobs in wrestling was Savage selling that leg in a WrestleMania match, the WrestleMania match against Ric Flair. Savage was the consummate pro in between those ropes. But then even there afterwards, when he was he was limping to the back and he's just, he's battered and just mm. pouring with sweat. He's being, mm. he's being held up just about by Liz and you can tell that she's struggling to keep him up and he's struggling mm. to stay up and he's looking at the camera going, I just got a piece. Just got a piece. You think I just got, a, I don't want a piece. I want the whole package. I just got a, And the whole interview was him saying, Liz, we're leaving Liz. I just got a piece. Just, just got a piece. Just a, and it was all, like you say, just that beautiful chaos. It, and it was believable. Yeah, Help. you just believe like he's so angry that he is he can't orate. He's just angry and hurt, and just his head is swimming with fury for who he's coming at. Okay, homework assignment for those of you listening to this: if you have never seen this Tuesday in Texas, go there now. Watch the Randy Savage Jake Roberts match. Watch everything unfold. It is one of the most emotionally appalling scenes you will ever see in WWE. And watch, and then after the match, watch both Jake the Snake Roberts and Randy Savage cut their respective promos. You will come away from, from it thinking, A, Jake Roberts is the biggest piece of scum walking the face of the earth, and two, Randy Savage is going to murder him, and I almost don't want to be there when he does it. <laughs> I know exactly what you're pointing people towards, and wow, it's good. Oh, it's good. <laughs> And, and yet, even, even while Jake is being so appalling, you're like, God, Jake was the best. So Doink takes Savage down and puts him in the walls of Doinkako, which is just a simple Boston Crab. Which is funny because Jericho played Doink eight years later on Raw, and Shawn Michaels was confused by it. And he if you ever the heard walls that. of Doinkako. <laughs> yes, why did Matt Bourne have to be Doink? Why you gotta be Doink? <laughs> but, anyway, but anyway, never should have made you Doink. Use the ropes for leverage. But Savage turns the tide, knocks Doink to the floor, but Doink sends him into the post. Nice back-and-forth match here. Vince points out that Savage is no doubt a future Hall of Famer. Well, yes, but... It's at this point that Heenan notes that 
win- the winner gets full custody of Todd Pettengill. <laughs> so why are they trying? <laughs> <laughs> I would have submit during instructions. <laughs> Vince does note that this is a rare match for Savage, which is why Savage would leave in about, oh, 15 months from now. It's at this point that you know that Bobby Heenan is friends with Girl and Monsoon and possibly Monsoon is producing this show. Because Blink applies an abdominal stretch and doesn't wrap the toe around the ankle, which Monsoon would always go nuts over when somebody didn't do that. And he then makes sure to note the lack of toe wrap around on this hold. And somewhere Monsoon was, was of course, nodding. So Monsoon would have been in the gorilla position, sort of feeding bits and pieces. Hence the name. Yes. Don't that miss was the my brain cushion. figuring that out. Savage gets knocked to the floor anyway, and he goes under the ring. Of course, we've seen Doink do this many a time before. So Doink sees his Savage's feet disappear under under the one side, and he walks to the other thing in this. Savage can try to ambush him. Well, Savage comes out, sort of. We, it is here we get the debut of the Macho Midget. That is what they call the Macho Midget. <laughs> they call him the Macho Midget. Like they call she she hits him with these. She calls it the rear view. The Here Macho he, he calls Midget himself... is, is something special. It is a midget wearing exactly Savage's outfit, complete with Randy Savage Halloween mask and matching cowboy hat on top. This was So this was the little surprise. See? Yes. There's a little thought, surprise. Who would have thought in pro wrestling that someone would say little surprise and it would end up being midget-based? <laughs> that, that never happens. And a midget under the ring. So this is the original Hornswoggle. This is this is the wrestler that Hornswoggle grew up watching. Yes, yeah, well, how they lived together. That inspired yeah. him to wrestle and yeah. compete in the Royal Rumble, which he's now allowed to do because, as we discovered watching the Royal Rumble, Finley is the master of the Royal Rumble. Yes, Finley is a uh, what? Well, I think Becky just intimidated him into putting her in it because. For as tough as Finley is, I mean, would you would you mess with the man? <laughs> exactly. So, so Dwink is amused by this. He's laughing at my my macho midget who makes sure to say "oh yeah" on camera, which is kind of creepy looking because <laughs> you can't see his mouth. So Dwink chases him around the ring. Savage pops up and takes him down violently. Yeah, he did. yeah. There was there was no. This didn't feel choreographed. This just felt like he was tackling him to the ground. I think he was a runner trying to flee from custody, and Savage had to bring him to justice. Savage brings him in and pins him with a simple inside cradle. The well, macho midget the, won the match for Savage. Yes, and and then after the match, we got something that kept me awake on Saturday night after I watched this. Something that bothered me to the core of my soul. So Savage and Doink are having this little. Tete a tete after the match of this little verbal altercation. Macho Midget runs in and bites Doink on the ass. We've seen biting on the ass and wrestling before the Bushwhackers, Hornswoggle. It's a thing, it's a thing. But the mask he's wearing covers his mouth. So what was he doing to Doink's ass? It just looked like he was rubbing his face in Doink's bum. He was doing a voluntary stink face. <laughs> and Doink doesn't. And Doink doesn't go in for those quote-unquote backdoor shenanigans. It looked really suspect. Had it been a bite, it would have been a little bit less suspect. Like, okay, he bit his ass. I would tr- I would freak out too if somebody bit my ass. I started like doing equations in my head, and, and then and then all the lights turned off, and I got dizzy, and then it just booms. It was an odd moment, but it was an odd finish to the match. Like, I was kind of hoping that it would be like Randy Savage and Doink 
I, I was kind of, there was part of me that thought it'd be nice for Doink to win, but I thought it'll always be Savage winning. But it was such an odd way to beat him. But then kind of, it's in keeping with the Doink, with the shenanigans that Doink's been pulling off. Whereas now, <laughs> the wrestlers are getting so smart to this multi-Doink silliness that they're now trying to beat him at their own, beat him at his own game. Hoisting him by his own petard. Exactly, you know, just trying to stay one step ahead of him. And, and unfortunately, we're getting toward the end of the awesomeness of heel doink. I should point that out. Pretty soon he'll be, uh, he'll be jumping the shark. Unfortunately, and the irony is the Macho Midget would play a part in it. I recall Doink had a midget sidekick eventually. Do you know who played him? Is this him? Yes, this is Tiger Jackson. No way. Yes, he played all three characters, Tiger Jackson, the Macho Midget, and Dink the Clown. I had no idea. So this is how the world was introduced to Dink the Clown. So that is brilliant. So Savage is celebrating, and Vince says that Savage has out-doink-a-sized doink. Couldn't have said it better myself. SummerSlam report, sponsored by Chevy, as seen outside Titan Tower. So obviously someone on the, on the company payroll enjoys their Chevy truck. Oh, I think there was probably a few knocking about now. After this, uh, after this sheer amount of Chevy love that's been handed around. Yes, Bruce Pritchard. I love Chevy. Chevy. <laughs> Not Chevy Chase. His talk show's coming on next month, and it's going to suck. Oh, nice timing. Is it really? Is that what uh, time actually, we're in? Fall of 93. Oh, wow. Five weeks of the Chevy Chase show. So we have four matches on the card so far. Luger versus Yoko, Brett versus Lawler. Taker versus Gonzalez in the R.I.P. match. They, they, no one knows the still don't know what the Taker. rules are for that. You'll find out the night of the show. <laughs> oh, good. And then the Intercontinental title match, Shawn Michaels versus Mr. Perfect. Oh, happy days. This this is going to steal the night. I hear a little bit of irony in your voice there. No, I th- they, I, does this match not happen? No, it happens. It happens. It's um. Because bear in mind, like this is because this is the thing, and I think if you if you're dipping in for the very first time, this one of the reasons why when Justin approached me with this project to watch all the old episodes of Raw, I was really excited about it because one, I get to work with my boy Justin Henry, and two, like this is a point in wrestling where I dipped out completely. Like I was like between '93 and '96, like I wasn't watching wrestling. I had them between 93 and 99, probably. I wasn't watching wrestling, so there's a lot of gaps here. So I'm, sure. I'm taking a lot of stuff on, on, the, on new face value. Like, I watched the King of the Ring for the first time the other week. King of the Ring 93, never seen that. So, mm-hmm. I'm, so when I saw the match graphic for Shawn Michaels versus Mr. Perfect, I was like, ah, oh, what a cracking match. This will be fun. Well, as part of our series, we we intend to watch SummerSlam '93 and do a live commentary on it, the way we did King of Every '93. And I don't want to spoil too much because you haven't seen this match yet, I assume. But I'll just say that for the next few weeks, not necessarily on Raw, but on all the all the other shows, Vince McMahon and other commentators promise that this will be the greatest Intercontinental title match of all time, given the two men involved. And they may have a little hard time living up to that billing. That's all I'll say. Okay. I'll let you watch the match and judge for yourself when we get there. Yeah, well, we, well, keep, yeah, well I'm, intri- I'm intrigued now. Keep that little form of advertising in mind. So we come back to ringside. Vince is wearing a Luger campaign button because, he, damn it, he needs this guy to be over. Ted DiBiase calls in, and this this is based on an angle that we missed on on the episode of Wrestling Challenge. Ted DiBiase faced the 1-2-3 kid. I thought the superstar set is exactly what Monday Night Raw set should be. I actually got set envy. 
when we got to Superstars <laughs> because it's got that lovely neon walkway and the arena's mm. nicely lit and it's clean. Like, this is what Raw should look like. It really should be. Sounds like a whole other show, like a whole different show. So no. the, the, the match itself... We only caught the ending of it, and Razor Ramon has turned up, and, and it's your typical kind of, oh, Razor Ramon's there, DiBiase's spotted him, da-da-da-da-da, cheeky quick roll-up, one, two, three, and one, two, three kid has beaten Ted DiBiase. And one, two, three kid pegs it. Like, he is gone within seconds. And DiBiase's chasing him, a bit like your slow dad. And he gets out of the ring and chases it, but Randy, uh, Razor Ramon is stood there, kind of laughing his head off, giving him what looked like the early stages of that Scott Hall shaky hand pose that he does. A little bit of that, a little bit of whoo. And DiBiase acts as if Razor Ramon is a wall and he cannot get around him. Because well, well, if I was taking DiBiase and I was so enraged by what had happened, I'd have decked Razor Ramon and carried on running after the 1-2-3 kid. Well, A, he was, he was tired from the match and B, Razor was a bigger man. There is that, Did... there is that. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, he got too confident. He had Kid in the Million Dollar Dream. Kid is dead to rights, laying on the mat, taking the, the old snoozerini. Then Dibiase lays on him, facing Razor, and kind of just like a, l- a little relaxed, you know, chilling on the beach, getting my tan position. One, two, Kid pulls him into the crucifix pin. One, two, three. That was so well done. Absolutely stunning. And Dibiase got his come up, and he wasn't smiling after the match. Well, Dibiase calls in the role in order to discuss this, and Vince says, we're Okay, we're going to show the footage, and DiBiase flips out. No, do not show the footage. Like, he's yelling at Vince. If you show the footage, I will hang up. I'd like to think that Ted DiBiase is putting money into a payphone at a country club while this is going on. <laughs> well, he has the money as part of his gimmick. Exactly. He's full of quarters because he's he really playing pinball. So, yes, DiBiase was very incensed by what happened there. And that will lead into SummerSlam. The one, but two, three kid is now an established star on the roster. And it's lovely to see, like, this guy who's just, who's come through. I mean, the true, the true indication of that was last week when he beat a jobber. When he was a yes. jobber himself, he is now out of jobber camp. Do you think it was weird when he went back into the jobber locker room? And they're like, oh, here he is, Mr. Big Shot. <laughs> oh, he gets music. Ooh, somebody got an entrance. He doesn't have to hum his own entrance music anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but then we get the highlight of the show. If you thought Savage and Doink was good, and it was a pretty good match, a pretty good TV match, we get a very important debut from a very important man. Bobby Heenan, I don't think, could have done any more to make this feel like a happening. Bobby Heenan sold for this guy like his job depended on it. And this wasn't no this guy either. This was a genuine star making his WWE debut the man behind Smoky Mountain Wrestling, one of the greatest managers in the history of the business, and one of the most colorful talkers you will ever hear, whether you agree with him or not, Mr. James E. Cornette. And Bobby Heenan, when he sees James E. Cornette coming down the ape, the, down the down the aisle, aisle. aisle. Gosh, I'm tired from all the wrestling. Um, <laughs> walking down the aisle, Bobby Heenan has kittens at the. At the sheer sight of Jim Cornette. <laughs> I put Mark's the FL for Cornette. He really does. And to the point where he... he and Bobby's brilliant at the minutiae of stuff. Like Bobby Heenan getting up from the, from the announce table and almost falling over his own feet. He's that keen to get there quickly. And he sliding only, he only, into the ring. 
He almost knocked over Bruce Pritchard. It was, <laughs> was amazing. Amazing. He gets into the ring. He's like, you're, I know who you are. It's you. You're here. I can't believe you're here. And like Bobby Heenan can't keep his hands off Jim Cornette. So when Jim's talking, like you see Bobby like reaching out and put his arm around him and stuff like that. Like Bobby Heenan is so excited to see Jim Cornette. Well, for this audience who may not have seen Smoky Mountain Wrestling, which by the way, they mentioned Smoky Mountain by name many, many times. Heenan has to tell his audience why this man is important. And he, and he is important, and he's going to be very important, not just in the segment, but later in the taping, as we will see on next week's show. So Bobby Heenan says, this man is the greatest manager in the history of pro wrestling. And wow. coming from him, that's a, that's a pretty uh, that's a pretty solid endorsement. And, and, and then Cornette makes sure to add that the uh, only reason he is is because Bobby Heenan no longer manages, which Heenan is like, oh, psh, no, that's not the case. So it's mutual admiration society stuff here. But Cornette's here to tell us why he's present. And after cutting a very colorful promo in a way that only Jim Cornette can, he calls the fans a genetic defects living downwind of the nuclear plant, which is a great line. <laughs> and even uh, he made that, and Bobby looked like he was going to burst with joy uh, a comment like that. <laughs> Brian Zane's father, Jim Cornette, he, uh, he, says all, he says being in WWE is the last thing he has to do in his career. He's here now. And he's here to answer the Steiner Brothers' open contracts because he just so happens to have a tag team that he knows can beat the Steiners and win those belts. And that tag team, unfortunately, it's not Bobby and Dennis or Bobby and Stan, but it is the next best thing. Dr. Tom Pritchard and the gigolo Jimmy Del Rey, the heavenly bodies. <laughs> the actual heavenly bodies are coming to Monday Night Raw. The heavenly friggin' bodies from Smoky Mountain Wrestling, his tag team, basically the next generation version of the mouth. The Midnights, although not quite as prolific, although it's very hard to be, this really is the next best thing. And so he's, so he's accepting their challenge, and that match will take place at SummerSlam. Whilst he was talking, um, we got the impression, if you didn't get it already, that this building is not only a dump, but it's a really warm dump. Because Jim Cornette has been in that ring for about five minutes, and he looks like he's lost a pound in water weight, because he is sweating profusely. He looks like a stewed tomato. Yeah, he's, he's just, just looks a bit puce, and just it just looks like it's pouring off him. I was like, geez, it must just be baking in there. Now, granted, he's fired up. He's, he's living this promo. He's full of energy. He's... Soon, you're gonna sweat anyway doing that in, in, in any circumstances. But my God, that must be—is that building made of like tin? It's like a tin shack. I think this this era of WWF does get labelled, and it gets a bad rap for being really light on stars. And it is. It really is. There's, there's no what two ways about it. It is. But in this era, in this period where we are transitioning and there's not much star power, we've got. In the same company, pretty much in their prime, Bobby Heenan, Jerry Lawler, and Jim Cornette. That's actually some pretty impressive uh, That's like, there. It's like, it's like the wrestling version of the Hale-Bop Comet. Like, they're all in the same place at the same time, and this probably won't happen again for another 300 years. It's a shame because Jimmy Hart's finishing up this week at this point. He's touring with Hogan over in Europe, and then that's it. Car. Yeah, so like Jimmy Hart, yeah, yeah, because say Jimmy Hart's there, but he's not there. But like those three are, are prolific and proficient on TV. It's three of the best talkers you'll ever hear in pro wrestling, and three of the funniest too. Incredible, in the same place at the same time. Unreal. Jim Cornette has arrived on Monday Night Raw. Cornette can only add to the show. Just enough time 
in this show and for a Mr. Perfect match. Do you feel that Mr. Perfect always gets lumbered with like the dying minutes of Monday Night Raw? Well, he makes the most out of him. He's very entertaining even with limited time. So Cornette's on commentary for this final match, thus putting this show into in firm thumbs-up territory. Perfect compares his mullet to Barry Hardy's, his opponent, eh, the best of all the Hardys. <laughs> Barry Hardy. Barry Is Hardy... the Barry Hardy thing a rib? Because he looks like... If there was if there was a Mr. Perfect the musical, he looks like the understudy. He's wearing a singlet. He has the mullet. He's a bit, the only difference is a goatee and he's a bit dumpier. That's it. <laughs> he looks like a cross between... I think his father was Guy Fieri and his mother was a poodle. That's amazing. Yes, that's a good shout. And Mr. <laughs> that's Perfect, very hardy. Mr. Perfect seems furious about this. He seems in a really foul mood. Well, because the building's hot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that would annoy me, to be fair. I should point out how surreal does he hear Vince name drop the Rock and Roll Express and the Armstrong Brothers on commentary. So Vince throws Hardy in the corner and gives him the hardest chop you ever did hear. As if Barry Hardy stole his mullet, like this is the Kimbo Slice Dada 5000, you stole my gimmick fight. And now he's trying now he's trying to maim him in front of this very baked crowd here up in, up up, in northern up, New York up, border. Upstate New York, as Vince referred to it. We're almost in Nanowit territory. We'll put it this way. This is so upstate New York, they don't even use the phrase steamed hams. There's, there's no steam anywhere in there except for this building. And, and the biggest mistake he would ever make, does the Kurt Hennig spit the gum out and smack it? Yes, that was is... great. Because that, that, it just reaffirmed to me. It was just as I realized, this guy looks like a cheap Mr. Perfect. He then does the gum swat of Mr. Perfect. I'm like, oh, that's probably why Mr. Perfect's angry. Because this feels like a rib. And as I wrote in my notes here, this is the worst Mortal Kombat mirror match ever. <laughs> You're no noob, Sabot. So Perfect Drop kicks him to the floor and then does his own gum, his own gum swat in order to do a retort. Vince is now putting over the angle in Smoky Mountain Wrestling involving Cornette and all the baby faces. So cross promotion with it's come to this for WWE 93. I'm not Smoky Mountain doesn't deserve a little bit of extra press, but when does Vince ever help somebody before? It's true. It's. I mean. I mean. He would do this later on when uh, ECW were getting involved. So they would do this again um, in future. And actually, at this point, Vince was down in USWA cutting heel promos on Jerry Lawler. So there you go. So we have got a little bit of uh, of cross promote. Yeah. This is a cross pollination. This is a sign of the times for sure. Cornette notes the lack of air conditioning. He's saying what we're all thinking. Even though, even those of us watching the show. And, and aren't feeling it. It's January. It's 30 degrees here, Fahrenheit. And I'm looking at the show like, God, uh, I'm getting thirsty just watching this show. So Perfect does the wrapped leg knee drop that he does. It screws up everybody's knees. And then he tears off Barry Hardy's singlet as if he's exposing an imposter. I kind of envied Barry Hardy because he was, he was probably cooler that way. Like, ah, now I can breathe. <laughs> he was relieved that now he's actually got a little bit of little bit of breathing room it's in a very, humility. very hot building. <laughs> I feel nice. So, so Perk pulls him up, and then now you're going to see a perfect plex. One, two, three. Not your usual squash match. Pretty fun, pretty engaging. Plus, Cornette was pretty funny on commentary. So that was a little bit of everything there. So then we get footage of, Le- of the Lex Express driving through the New York Thruway. And as, and as soon as I hear the word Thruway, I think of Blazing Saddles. Lapetta main Thruway. Now what will that asshole think of next? What does Lugas say here? Because I couldn't quite hear it, and 
I think I, I run out of time ahead of watching the kickoff show, so I didn't rewind it. I, I wasn't listening. I was just like, <laughs> like, like, I'm sure whatever it was, it was as interesting and proud and patriotic as Vince promised it was going to be. <laughs> the lone highlight here, other than my blazing style shit, was Luger running into a meet and greet and trying to be energetic. It was like Bruce Pritchard's outside said, I'll bet you $10 you can't run in there and be, and be a ball of energy. Luger's like, oh yeah, watch me. He then had a lie down on the bus for about 12 hours after this. That's what you don't see. <laughs> I'm so tired. How did Hogan do it? How did Hogan do that thing where, you know, he acts like he wants to pee somewhere? How did he do that thing where he gives a crap? That, 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 that's hard. <laughs> Contract signing next week. Luger, Luger and Yoko. Oh, I can't wait. Also, Tatanka versus Mr. Hughes. Cornet says the Heavenly Bodies are going to be there. And he promises... There is more to come. So that's next week. Ever. That is next week. What did you make of Raw this week? Other than the god-awful Luger interview, I love this show. I thought it was a fun episode, even though it, it kind of... Uh, the arena also gives off the dying days of Raw vibe that are going to be unavoidable for some time to come. Some of the prestige is starting to chip away a little bit. I enjoyed the show for what it was. Savage Blank was really good. Cornette's debut was awesome. And there's some fun squash matches. <laughs> There's some nice stuff that we are building towards, and there's a few nice shoots coming through, um, and we're not that far out from SummerSlam now, and I do have a good feeling about SummerSlam, even though Luger and Yoko is your main event. I still have a good feeling about it. May I give you my professional opinion right now? I think I think as a match, Luger and Yoko is better than Sean and Perfect. Oh, wow. Oh, gosh. Okay. We'll I mean, th this is the thing. I'm now at a point with watching Raw that I'm ready to see a pay-per-view. <laughs> Like there's enough distance between the shows. I'm ready to see a big pay-per-view where the, some things get blown off. And at one hour a week, it's very digestible. Easily digestible. Easily so. But hey, more next week as we go careering towards King of the Ring. Uh, careering Summer towards SummerSlam, I should say. Um, on board our Ica Pro Power DeLorean. Thanks so much for listening this week. Uh, we're both really sleepy. So apologies if we are sleepy when you listen to this because we've... We're 20, less than 24 hours removed from the Royal Rumble that we both stayed up very late for. So we're going to... what I don't know about you, Justin, but I'm going to not watch any wrestling for a little bit. I might watch Raw tonight in my easy chair with no energy to move. Unless I could jump over to The Simpsons on FXX in a timely fashion, that's probably what I'm going to stick with. Okay, well, you do that. Um, uh, he is at JRH Writing. I am at Tom Campbell. It's my birthday tomorrow! Spoiler! We are both at Cultaholic. Justin is in a country that starts with a U and ends in an A. And there is an S in the middle. I love you, bye. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from.